0: Well hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark and I hope you're enjoying these programs. We're going to be uh, focusing on a kind of a narrow little element of jazz history today. Uh, I'm going to call this Hot Clarinets in Chicago. Uh, In the early jazz period in the 1920s recordings, uh, I guess it was determined uh, that clarinet players' sounds uh, showed up on the early acoustic recordings very well. And uh, there were a number of clarinet players who were featured quite heavily. Of course, some of these clarinet players were band leaders, too, so that figured into it. And uh, they uh, were presented doing novelty tunes, doing original tunes, in some cases doing standard tunes, and then eventually uh, the bands might be expanded to add a cornet or even a larger band as well. And so we're going to focus on some of those clarinet players who might be better known in other uh, ensembles and other situations as well. The clarinet players we're going to talk about today, we're going to start with a man named Jimmy O'Brien, about whom more in a moment. Uh, Vance Dixon, who is a name that's largely lost to history today, but made some interesting recordings. We're going to hear one uh, side by Albert Nicholas, the great New Orleans clarinet player. We're going to hear some sides by Johnny Dodds, uh, by Junie Cobb, and by Benny Goodman. We are omitting... uh, Omer Simeon from this uh, uh, group who would fit in very nicely. He made some very nice trio recordings in the uh, 1920s, but we played those before. And if you check out our earlier podcast on Omer Simeon, you can hear those. So if you'd like to fill in the gap, go back and take a listen to that. So we're going to listen to, uh, as I said, these clarinet players who were featured as the only uh, horn player on these recordings. I uh, specifically uh, decided to omit any that had another clarinet or a trumpet or cornet or trombone or whatever. So we can really feature these players uh, in a a very focused way. So we're going to start with uh, Jimmy O'Brien. Now Jimmy O'Brien is a clarinet player whose work had been uh, mistaken for that of Johnny Dodds frequently in the 1920s. They recorded uh, for the same labels and often with some of the same personnel. Uh, Jimmy O'Brien's playing in some ways resembles Johnny Dodds. Uh, It was very bluesy, uh, Possessed a very large sound and uh, had a similarly declarative way about it. But uh, some, some occasional listening will, will show the differences between the two of them, and we'll hear some of those today. We're going to start with a series of recordings that uh, O'Brien made for the Paramount Record Label. The Paramount Record Label was out of Grafton, Wisconsin. It was kind of an auxiliary business to the uh, Grafton Chair Company. Uh, It was a furniture company that produced uh, recording devices and uh, Victrolas. They weren't Victrolas. I don't think they called something else. But in order to publicize their machines and their furniture, they started giving away recordings. And they found that making recordings, not only to give away, but to sell, Uh, was also a profitable venture. Uh, Unfortunately, Paramount did not have a very good recording studio, so the sound quality is not terrific, but uh, I think we can uh, get beyond that to hear some very fine music. A lot of the early blues recordings, things by Ma Rainey and uh, Papa Charlie Jackson and Blind Lemon Jefferson were on the Paramount label, and also a lot of the great jazz players of the 1920s in Chicago were featured on that label as well. So we're going to start with uh, five tunes that were recorded uh, between 1925 uh, the middle of 1925 and the beginning of 1926. And these featured this clarinet player Jimmy O'Brien. Now Jimmy O'Brien's sort of mysterious figure in fact if you do a Google search uh, the term mystery man of jazz comes up because someone did some writing on him at one point and referred to him that way. Apparently he was born in Arkansas in the late 1890s 1896 somewhere around then. Uh, he, uh, at some point, somehow, learned to play the clarinet, and he started touring vaudeville in the 1910s. And he was associated with an act called the Tennessee Ten, which was run by uh, a man named Ralph Dunbar. And this featured, at various times, uh, some very fine African-American jazz players and entertainers. Florence Mills was part of that group, Um uh, Ulysses uh, Livingston, who married Florence Wills, was a dancer in that troupe. This was a group that did music. They were bringing this ragtime music, which came to be known as jazz, out into uh, the, the various parts of the country where the Black Vaudeville circuits toured. Uh, another band doing this was the Creole Band, uh, Bill Johnson's Creole Band out of New Orleans that had people like uh, Jimmy Noon for a while and uh, Freddie Keppard and, and so forth. And these groups touring these Vaudeville Uh, circuits were very important in bringing the idea of jazz, and especially black jazz, to different parts of the country that would not necessarily have heard it otherwise. They did not make records, uh, but they were uh, very prominent in African American entertainment circles. So this Tennessee Ten was touring uh, by 1918, 1919, even before that. There are some pictures on the web that feature a clarinet player who may very well be Jimmy O'Brien. Pictures do not abound of this player. Um, There's also A cornet and a trombone. I think there's a violin, a banjo, drums, a string bass, and a couple of dancers. And I think Florence Mills might be in that picture as well. So this was uh, African American music as entertainment, and it was done as novelty and comedy. Um, A lot of it was set in plantation settings, very you know minstrelly. Um, racist settings that we think of today, but uh, again, it was an important way of bringing this music to the attention of a lot of people in the country. So at some point probably around 1921-22 Jimmy O'Brien ended up uh, living in Chicago, and he started recording uh, for Paramount as early as 1923. He became an associate of Lovey Austin the piano player at the Monogram Theater uh, in Chicago, who was uh, very much involved with Paramount, uh, the Paramount Recording Company company. She uh, was a talent scout. She would find blues singers and musicians. She would write music. She would publish music. Uh, for example, if a blues singer came in with a song uh, who didn't know how to write it down, Lovey Austin would transcribe it and send it off for copyright. So she was an important uh, person. We may do some uh, some future show on her as well. Very important uh, woman in early jazz. Never never really given her credit. She had a string of uh, recordings uh, as by her blues serenaders. Lovey Austin and her blues serenaders. Serenaders, many of which featured Jimmy O'Brien and Tommy Ladnier on cornet, some of which featured uh, Johnny Dodds, presumably when Jimmy O'Brien couldn't make it, and they also backed up a host of blues singers from 1923 to about 1926 or so. Uh, Jimmy O'Brien also played briefly for King Oliver. Presumably he replaced uh, uh, Johnny Dodds with the Creole Jazz Band about 1924. Uh, There were quite a few Reed players who ran through that group at the time. Buster Bailey was one and Rudy Jackson was another and uh, Albert Nicholas came in after that as well but Jimmy O'Brien did some innings in there. He also played in the earlier 20s with Jelly Roll Morton and with WC Handy. So he was a well-traveled musician and clearly a good clarinet player. So we're going to hear, as I said, these five tunes. We're going to hear uh, the Papa Charlie Jackson tune called Shake That Thing, which was a very important record from 1925 for Charlie Jackson. This was recorded in January of 1926. This is considered the beginning of hokum blues. It was a very up-tempo, blues-based tune that had a lot of humor and double entendre lyrics. And uh, this is not a vocal performance, but it uh, capitalizes on the popularity of the Papa Charlie Jackson recording. And we're going to hear, with Jimmy O'Brien on clarinet, on this and all the other recordings we're hearing. Jimmy Blythe on piano and and uh, Jasper Taylor on drums. Actually, washboard in this case. Jasper Taylor lived a fairly long life. He lived into the 1960s, and if you go on the Hogan Archive uh website musicrising.com. You'll, you can look around and find an interview with Jasper Taylor towards the end of his life where he talks a lot about this period in music. Jimmy uh, Blythe and uh, Jimmy O'Brien both died quite young. Jimmy O'Brien passed away in June of 1928, I believe, and uh, don't know what happened to him or anything like that, but uh, he uh, was recording until fairly close to the end of his life. So, after Shake That Thing, we're going to hear the Scoodlum Blues, Scoodlum Blues, which is a Jimmy O'Brien tune, I believe, from March of 1925. And then Steppin' on the Gas, which is a nice up-tempo tune with some interesting chord changes and uh, melodic structure from May of 1925. Then we're going to hear the Jelly Roll Morton Standard, the Meilenberg Joys, from November of 1925. That had been recorded a couple of years earlier in Chicago by the New Orleans Rhythm Kings and became a jazz standard at that point. Then we're going to finish up with a blues tune called My Man Rocks Me With One Steady Roll, or My Gal Rocks Me With One Steady Roll, depending on how you feel about things. And this was from December of 1925. So all of these done uh, within about uh, a a 10 or 11 month period. span, and feature the playing of Jimmy O'Brien. Some other recordings also feature Bob Schaffner on cornet. Might play those at some point later, but uh, these are especially interesting from the point of view of hot clarinets in Chicago during the 1920s. So one more time, Shake That Thing, Scoodlum Blues, Steppin' on the Blues, Meilenberg Joys, and My Man Rocks Me with One Steady Roll. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Here's some hot Chicago jazz for you from the middle 1920s, featuring uh, three players who were pretty well represented on records, but are not terribly well known today. All African American players. So we mentioned Jimmy O'Brien had toured the vaudeville sticks, uh, learned to play clarinet in a in a very blues-based style. He certainly wasn't from New Orleans, but he'd absorbed quite a lot of that style of playing. Jimmy Blythe uh, was the piano player. He's generally credited with being one of the first players to play uh, what we would recognize today as boogie-woogie piano on record. And uh, we heard a little bit of it in there as well. So that's uh, kind of an interesting... uh, Foretaste of what's to come. He also did not live a long life. He was born, I think, in Virginia in about 1901, and he died in 1931 of meningitis, but he recorded very frequently in the studios with blues singers, with jazz bands, and also doing piano roles uh, all throughout the 1920s and created a lot of songs as well. In fact, he probably had a hand in writing a couple of these. And then we have Jasper Taylor on Washboard. He was a very Uh, well-traveled drummer. I think he came from the Memphis area. He played with W.C. Handy and he actually played in um, opposition to W.C. Handy. He was a competitor in one of his bands uh, back in the early 1910s and his career took him to Chicago. He played a lot of shows. He played circuses. Uh, He played uh, in theaters. He was considered a very technical and well-schooled drummer. He learned to read music more or less on his own but he uh, uh, could play very uh, complicated shows and he also played a number of jazz sessions as well, and uh, we get to hear him do some solos here on Washboard. So we started out with Shake That Thing, a good up-tempo bluesy number, very uh, merry and good feeling and all that, uh, sort of captures the spirit of the Papa Charlie Jackson tune, even though there are no words. Then we went on to two uh, originals, uh, the Scoodlum Blues, and uh, Steppin' on the Gas. Both of those are Jimmy O'Brien tunes from uh, early to mid 1925. Scootland Blues had some interesting breaks and chord changes, had a couple of different uh, strains to it. These uh, O'Brien tunes were composed almost in a ragtime style and that's even clearer on the second or the third tune rather. Steppin' on the Gas is the title of that tune. And we heard several strains, one of which turns into uh, a familiar-sounding tune, if you know the work of Johnny Dodds, I had to look it up. It's a tune that he recorded uh, with his um, one of his various recording groups, uh, the Chicago Footwarmers, I think, and he called it "My Baby," but that was one of the strains of "Stepping on the Gas." Then we went to Meilenberg Joys and heard Jimmy O'Brien play what passed for a standard tune at the day, and then ended up with the blues tune that uh, many blues singers recorded called My Daddy Rocks Me With One Steady Roll, or My Man Rocks Me, or My Gal Rocks Me, or whatever you like. But it was recorded under all those titles. So all of these feature the playing of Jimmy O'Brien. A number of years ago... Um, RST Records, which I think was a subsidiary of Document Records, put out a two-CD set of Jimmy O'Brien, but there wasn't quite enough to fill out the second CD, so they uh, added in some recordings by another even less-known clarinet player named Vance Dixon. Vance Dixon was from, I think, West Virginia, and he grew up uh, playing clarinet and saxophone. He found himself in Pittsburgh in the early 1920s. He made the first recording with Earl Hines, with Lois Depp's band, when they recorded Con Jane. In fact, he was apparently the... um, musical director of that group. And so the story goes, he had received an offer right about then to go with Fletcher Henderson's band. Fletcher Henderson was uh, uh, increasing the size of his group uh, from the Club Alabama days to move into the Roseland in 1924. Uh, And uh, Vance Dixon didn't think he was ready to do that. He felt that he, as Don Redmond said, the company was a little too fast in New York. Uh, And so Buster Bailey was given the chance, and Buster Bailey became one of the most prominent Uh, clarinists uh, in African-American dance band circles of the 1920s in New York. Anyway, Vance Dixon uh, moved off to Chicago. He apparently was a pretty well-schooled musician. He played with uh, Erskine Tate's band and obviously did theater work and shows, and he uh, made a number of recordings under his own name, uh, occasionally calling his band Vance Dixon and His Pencils Uh, playing on the uh, name of one of the large pencil companies, Dixon Pencils. Um, Unrelated, but uh, convenient name nonetheless. We're going to hear a couple of the recordings uh, that he did uh, as a um, duo or trio. I think we're actually going to focus more on the trio recordings. We're going to hear him do a tune called Tiger Rag, of course we know the Tiger Rag, and uh, that will feature, in addition to him, Klein Tyndall on piano, and Lawrence Dixon on banjo. Lawrence Dixon is better known for his association with Earl Hines. Don't know much about Klein Tyndall, I have to admit. And that was recorded in December of 1926, also for Paramount. And then we're going to hear one from the next month, January of 1927, uh, with the same group called My Man Just Won't Don't. I presume that uh, he uh, wrote that as well. Uh, he didn't write Tiger Rag, of course. That was an original Dixie and the Jazzman tune that was uh, cobbled together from a lot of different sources from New Orleans in the early 20th century. So after that, we're going to jump to a better-known clarinetist. We're going to hear some of Johnny Dodd's recordings. We're going to uh, hear a couple of things that he did uh, in a trio, a um, trio. With Charlie Alexander on piano and also with Lil Hardin on piano, Lil Hardin Armstrong at the time. So I'll tell you about those when we get there. But we'll start out with those two Vance Dixon tunes, Tiger Rag and My Man Just Won't Don't. very different clarinet players. We started out with Vance Dixon, who, like Jimmy O'Brien, had started uh, playing in bands and probably on the vaudeville circuit as well. Vance Dixon also recorded on alto sax on some of his tracks. I just focused on the clarinet there. And we heard a very lively version of Tiger Rag, demonstrating a pretty significant clarinet technique, and then a more bluesy tune, My Man Just Won't Don't, uh, both for Paramount Records In uh, respectively, January of 19 uh, or in December of 1926 and January of 1927. Uh, So some interesting playing there, and some of his band recordings. He did one session a little bit later was in 1931 uh, that is with an almost completely unknown personnel other than him, and I might have to play that at some point. It was an interesting session with some good good jazz on it as well. Then we went to Johnny Dodds, probably the busiest and most well-known black clarinet player in the 1920s uh, in Chicago for the whole decade. Jimmy Noon of course was very popular but he tended to play more in uh, theater bands although at the end of the decade he was uh, recording with his Apex Club uh, group which featured him and Joe Poston on alto sax with a rhythm section. He didn't do many trio uh, recordings. He did one or two, and then later in life he did a few. Uh, But Johnny Dodds recorded in all possible combinations in the 1920s, from blues accompanists to um, uh, bands backing blues and uh, trios, duos, Uh, New Orleans style jazz bands of several different sizes. Of course he recorded with Louis Armstrong's Hot Five and Hot Seven, recorded with a jug band, you know, all sorts of things. So we just heard him, the first two numbers, played in a trio accompanied by Lil Hardin Armstrong on piano and Bud Scott on guitar. Of course both of them had been with Johnny Dodds with King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band a few years earlier. These were done in April of 1927 for the Brunswick label. And we heard the pop tune San followed by the St. Louis Blues, which here was touched the new St. Louis Blues. I'm not sure what was so new about it, but uh, some very fine playing. And then we jumped up a, a couple of years to 1920. I guess one year to 1928 and July, and a very well recorded uh, version of a blues tune called "The Blue Clarinet Stop." This was done for Victor uh, Records, which had much better uh, sound uh, quality in its studios. And uh, the Johnny Dodds trio here features Johnny Dodds with Charlie Alexander on piano and Bill Johnson on bass. Bill Johnson was the leader of the Creole jazz band that I mentioned earlier that had toured all over Vaudeville in the 1910s. He was from New Orleans. I believe it was his sister who was married to Jelly Roll Morton, so there were all sorts of family connections there. So those were our tunes for Johnny Dodds, and some very interesting playing, especially on the last one where Charlie Alexander starts out with a, a, a sort of a classical allusion uh, to Pagliacci, and then Johnny Dodds come in, came in almost sounding like a classical violin, um, and often clarinet players in the 1920s were thinking in those terms as almost a violin player. So now we're going to go on to one more set of classic hot clarinets from the 1920s in Chicago, and we're going to hear three different clarinet players. Uh, we're going to start with Albert Nicholas, the great New Orleans player who had come up in the 19, early 1920s, leading a band at Tom Anderson's uh, Cafe in New Orleans that featured him and Barney Bagard on tenor sax. They were both playing more saxophone at the time, but King Oliver asked uh, Nicholas to come to uh, Chicago to join him uh, with the Uh, the Creole Jazz Band, which uh, was not recording at the time, and morphed into the Dixie Syncopators, the big band, a year or so later. And Albert Nicholas uh, was quite a fine musician on saxophone and clarinet and did that, but he was also very well featured on clarinet recordings. And the one we're going to hear is called 29th in Dearborn, which was a blues tune composed by Richard M. Jones, Richard Miney Jones, who... uh, composed Trouble in Mind, and he was a talent scout for uh, several different labels in Chicago as well. I believe it was he who was responsible for getting Jimmy Noon uh, into the recording studio. And we're going to hear the Richard M. Jones three jazz wizards, Albert Nicholas, Richard M. Jones, and Johnny St. Cyr on banjo from November of 1925 for OK Records. And that was the label that that, uh, Richard M. Jones was working for at the time. Then we're going to go to a little-known musician, a man named Junie Cobb, Junie C. Cobb, who recorded quite a bit in the 20s. He was a multi-instrumentalist. He played with King Oliver's Uh, Dixie Syncopators, the big band, and he was renowned for being able to play all the instruments. Apparently for a while, there was a continuous music policy at that club, and it was a 10-piece band, and they wanted music without breaks. So they would send one person on break, and Junie would play his part, and then the next person, and Junie would play his part, and so on and so forth. So he recorded on piano and uh, banjo and singing and I think he played cornet on a couple of recordings, he had a brother um, who was a good cornet player, Jimmy Cobb as well, but he was really, Junie, known as a clarinet and saxophone player. And we're going to hear him play two numbers that traditionally were ascribed to Johnny Dodds. In fact, there was a Jazz Heritage LP I had in high school that was a Johnny Dodds LP where I learned a lot of this music, and the two tunes that we're going to hear, Little Bits and Strugglin' were both said to be Johnny Dodds items, but they've since been uh, changed over to Junie Cobb, and indeed it doesn't really sound like Johnny Dodds too much, but it has a lot of the same approach. So we're going to hear uh, Junie Cobb uh, playing on those sessions, and he's going to be accompanied by Jimmy Blythe on piano, we've met him, and Jimmy Bertrand on drums, another Chicago stalwart. Then we're going to finish up with one or two tunes that were the first tunes, or basically the first tunes, recorded by Benny Goodman. All of these have been African-American clarinet players so far, but we're going to hear a white clarinet player who later set the standard for clarinet playing in the 1930s, Benny Goodman, um, on a trio recording that he made of That's A Plenty, and uh, also "Clarinetitus," which is a, a, another tune that hopefully we'll get a chance to hear too. And that... Um, group was a trio that featured Goodman, of course on clarinet, uh, Mel Stitzel, the arranger and composer on piano, and Bob Conselman on drums. and Bob Conselman had been playing with the Ben Pollock band and that's uh, I guess or he'd been subbing with the Ben Pollock band because he'd recorded with Goodman a couple of times. This is usually credited as June of 1928, which is not Goodman's first recordings, but um, they were made apparently when he was on a trip to Chicago, maybe with the Pollock band. So we'll hear those to finish up. So that's what we're going to hear. We're going to hear uh, 29th and Dearborn, Little Bits Struggling, That's A Plenty, and Clarinetitus. There we have our Hot Clarinets of Chicago for you right there. We started, uh, as I said, with 29th and Dearborn, the uh, Richard M. Jones Three Wizards, featuring Albert Nicholas on clarinet. And then uh, we went to Junie C. Cobb, and he recorded under his own name a little bit later as Junie Cobb and his Grains of Corn, so hard hard to fault that. Um... The trio that he had there was Jimmy Blythe on piano, who was probably responsible for the tunes, I think, and Jimmy Bertrand on drums, and we heard Little Bits and Struggling for Vocalion in Chicago, uh, May 29th of 1926. Then, uh, off we went uh, to Benny Goodman at that point, and some of his first recordings uh, for Vocalion also in, uh, we think, June of 1928, the Benny Goodman Trio, with Mel Stitzel and Bob Consulman playing the... um, Lou standard, That's A Plenty, followed by Clarinetitis, which I believe was by Mel Stitzel. And uh, those were um, kind of prototypes, I think, for the uh, Benny Goodman trio that came eight, nine years later once he was uh, starting to find fame and fortune. Uh, Clarinetitis is credited to Benny Goodman, but we don't really know of Benny Goodman writing any other tunes. so chances are it was Mel Stitzel putting it together, but who knows. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this program. This is the Jazz Focus you're listening to. My name is John Clark, and uh, we may do a follow-up program to this at some point and do uh, some of the hot clarinets of New York, because there were a different type of clarinet player playing there in the 1920s as well. So, I uh, hope you continue to listen to us and uh, seek us out. Uh, we have a little sponsorship button if you're interested in sponsoring the Jazz Focus. Take a look uh, at uh, the platform you're on at the moment, whether it's Anchor.fm or Spotify or one of the other ones. And i uh, love to have your help, love to have your input as well. Check me out on Instagram and Facebook under my band name, Wolverine Jazz Band. also my website, WolverineJazzBand.com. So thank you again, and thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.